the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Worldview Media Podcast, where Gordon and Joyce Runyon view popular media through the lens of the biblical five-point covenant model to help believers appreciate and apply principles of exciting narrative and engaging storytelling. Hello and welcome to the Worldview Media Podcast, the highlight of your week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With a face made for radio and a voice made for pantomime, I'm your host, Gordon Runyon. And with me in studio is a woman who scandalized everybody by marrying below her station. <laughs> My wife, Joyce. Oh, he's a crazy man. I bet everybody thought you'd gotten rid of me because they haven't heard me lately. <laughs> right. You took a couple, <clears throat> took a little bit off. I took a hiatus, huh? Well, that's all right. Okay, so here we are, and we're going to talk about the uh, series on PBS. Uh, what's the show? Great Masterpieces? Or? Um, I believe it's Masterpiece. Masterpiece Theater. Yeah. Great masterpiece. <laughs> great. It's great. <laughs> anyway, the show is one that's still in progress and it's called Pole Dark. Apparently, based on a series of novels across the pond over in the Queen's country. And it is about Ross Pole Dark. Ross Pole Dark, the Pole Dark clan. Mostly Ross. Yeah, and his family, the Poldark family, is a landed uh, nobility mm -hmm. in England in mm -hmm. the late 18th century. Ross Poldark himself goes over to the colonies to fight for the Redcoats. Yep. In the Revolutionary War, he is wounded and finally returns home after apparently a lot of people have gotten the news that he died and combat but he didn't die he didn't die and he comes back and finds his estate in a bad state yeah. and it's in disrepair his father's dead <clears throat> he's the only pole dark in that in that particular line he has cousins and stuff yeah. still there well and i think too with that uh time frame of becoming an heir it was always the firstborn that got like the really good stuff and then if there was other stuff <laughs> right. well then you could maybe have some other stuff but uh so his dad wasn't the firstborn and so his estate was not Smaller. quite as splendid <clears throat> yeah all right and so ross poldark sets about to try to restore the fortunes of the bit of the estate that he does have. Mm -hmm. They have some lines. And he kind of takes upon himself, he sees it as his own responsibility to do something to help the uh, sad state of the villagers that dwell close to his property. Yeah. And were previously probably employed by his father. Yeah. And he does this by several means, one of which is to purchase an old copper mine and try to make that profitable again. Well, I think the mine is really in the family. It's a family mine. It just hasn't been running. 
but he had to lay out a lot of cash to get yeah. it up and running again. Okay. And so where we find the story up till now, Ross has scandalized everybody by marrying a common woman who, uh, well, really, his she maid. was. Right. <laughs> his scullery maid that yeah. he basically found living on the streets. Yeah. And brought her in and wound up marrying her. Well, came to the defense of this person. <laughs> yeah, she. Didn't realize it was a female. <laughs> and then later said, oh. And, of course, it was a very taboo thing because she's a young lady um, he's a young gentleman. There's nobody else there but the two of them, and so it it could be seen as someone taking advantage of a situation. Right. And so they marry, and it's scandalous and all of that. Much of the story centers on the fact that there is a family in the area called the Walleggins, and they were commoners, but they started a bank somehow the family started banking and making loans and by now we find George Walleggan who is the same age as Ross Poldark and he is very happy about the fact that the money he's made as a banker has kind of bought his way into the gentry yeah and so he's a gentleman now when he wasn't by birth and and he's but very is proud he of that. a gentleman? <laughs> well, title-wise, he is. He's a bad guy, of course. He's the worst kind of banker. <laughs> Not that there are any good bankers. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, someone's crazy. Okay. <laughs> and so George Walleggan basically owns everybody and everything and and tries to get his way based on people being under his thumb because of their debts and stuff like that. And yeah, I think people are they accept them because they have to. You know, they've yeah. been kind of pinned into right. you you must treat me with respect or I'll take everything that you have. Right. Yeah. And so that's where much of the plot comes from. The <laughs> other antagonistic uh, entity is the government itself, really. Uh, Ross Poldark finds himself kind of sideways with other people who are uh, landed and and privileged and the gentleman class and the ladies he finds himself in a in opposition to them often standing up for the the very lowest classes of people yeah, the very common hard working he's people. not unlike a robin hood sort except that he hasn't actually started you know, robbing the bad guys and all that. But he has kind of that same flair to him. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of how the story is formed and where the conflict comes from. What's your overall impression of Dark? I like the series. This is a remake, actually. They did it in the 70s with uh, different characters. And so they're, they've kind of updated it. And, of course, the books are... Um, really relatively old. I've I've thought about, you know, maybe I should try to hunt them down and read the books because the books are always supposed to be better. But uh, um, the 
the photography, the settings, the scenes are, you know, amazing. They're out in the country and um, just really beautiful scenery. And I think it's just done really well for being um, a PBS (laughs) production. You know, they've, they've kind of stepped up their game a little bit. (laughs) Right. I'm, I'm not sure how that works. Does Masterpiece Theater, are they richer now than they were because of the success of Downton Abbey or? Well, these are broadcast, of course, in England, in the UK. And so they are productions done by these other people. And then I think PBS somehow gets a hold of them. Oh, okay. And then says, let us... So it's not Masterpiece Theater making its own series? I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay. All right. I could be wrong, and if I am... Well, I'm just saying that if they did, it makes sense that in this series, they obviously have a lot of money to spend on production. Because I... Yeah. I feel like the... Like you mentioned, the the sets and the scenery and Mm -hmm. the costuming and all of that is really... Really well done. Yeah. Well, I know that with Downton Abbey, you know, we would have to wait until after December to watch it. But they were already watching it over in the UK up to December. (laughs) So I don't really think it's a PBS production. Okay. All right. And your overall, you like it? I do like it. And like I say, it's made me think maybe I should investigate the books and see because it's it's based on a series of books, I'm going to say at least three, okay. and I think they focus on the characters uh, that are in the show. Yeah. Well, I think I kind of like Ross Poldark as a character, and I'm generally not big into Robin Hood types and stuff like that, but uh, I like Ross in that He's sometimes just, there's no excuse for him. He's just an idiot, you know. Yeah. <laughs> he does make some really horrible decisions and, and bad choices. And uh, and he just does them kind of impetuously and uh, irrationally sometimes. And I like that they don't let him off the hook for those things. You know, when he does mess up, he winds up kind of paying the price for it. Yeah. And... Well, he's a flawed character, certainly. Yeah, for but, sure. you know, he, I think he's always trying his best. Yeah. And he's trying to do the right thing. He's just oblivious, though. And, uh, well, he's not one for social niceties. You know, right. he's not a politically correct guy. He's not going to say something just to smooth something over when it's not true, when it's not right, when it's not accurate. Yeah. And I think everybody else would. So. Well, I agree with that. I just think that, and I'd I'd grant you that Ross is a honorable character. Mm-hmm. He kind of has his own code of honor, and when he feels like those principles are at stake, whatever principles he happens to hold, uh, he can be extremely stubborn and unrelenting mm-hmm. yeah. in those things. I just think there are times when he does do some things rashly. Or as he makes a decision, he tends to do it without not only disregarding himself, which may seem selfless and noble, because he does things without caring what the consequences are to himself, Mm -hmm. 
but you know he's married after a little while and they're starting to have kids and yeah and he has people depending on him and he still makes these decisions that are on the face of it they're at least risky and at best they're damaging his own marriage and stuff like that and and uh I think he eventually realizes that all the time and does his best to put it right where he can, but makes it kind of grind your teeth a little bit, some of the things he well, does. I, I understand what you're saying, but I think when he's he realizes that he has to take care of people and provide for them, and I think he sees that as the community at large that are, that's on his estate. Yeah. All the people that need to be working that have no work, that have no food, that have nothing. Right. And so his focus may seem a little skewed because his concern about these people that really nobody else cares about. Right. You know, anybody else would say, well, you know, let them go somewhere else. Let them find something, you know, let them whatever. They're not important. But he yeah. does see them as important and he knows them. And I think that's something that's... um a little unique to his character because you see his cousin doesn't have that kind of relationship with even the people that work in his home, much less the people that live on his land. So, um, Ross is different in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and there is some, there's some storytelling stuff about it that I really like. Uh, for instance, we mentioned the bad guys, the banker family, the wall leggings, and they are deliciously despicable, you know? <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> you really grow to despise them greatly and just can't wait for them to get what's coming to them. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's a good bit of writing and storytelling. And, you know, it's got to be coming, you yeah. know? And the, but I think recently we've been seeing that there have been some episodes and some some dilemmas they go through where you kind of see the solution coming from a mile away or you can suspect you predict that this yeah. is how the plot's going to go yeah well this is the second season now so the yeah. first season's over and we're in the middle probably towards the end of the second season right right okay so we're going to take our little break and come back and Uh, talk more about covenant issues and worldview issues so stay tuned here's our break the reconstructionist radio podcast network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology our desire is not simply that you consume our shows but that you also live out your faith in every area of life we can talk all day long about these things but if we fail to put them into practice then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom. And we're back. Thanks again for joining us, Worldview Media Podcast. We're talking about Masterpiece Theater. 
and its uh, presentation of pole dark on PBS. And we've talked a little bit in general terms what we like about it, what we don't like, and now it's time for us to kind of subject this series to covenant analysis. Now, the first point of the biblical covenant is transcendence, and in the Bible, this point talks about who's the creator, who's the redeemer, who's the revealer of truth, uh, who is the ultimate lawgiver. And sometimes the question that we want to ask here as we try to find out what is the transcendent power that's being preached is how do characters find redemption in this in this program. You mm. have any ideas? I think the most obvious example of mm. that is Ross's cousin, Francis Poldark. Now, Francis, when we meet him, he's kind of a pitiful he's character. Yeah. yeah, he's a soft, weak man. Mm -hmm. And he's been raised with comfort and money, and through his own mismanagement, he's managed to pretty much lose most of it. Well, and worse than well, that, he's squandering he's been it. Under his dad's yeah. thumb and you know Yeah, but early he was yeah. gambling he, it uh, away. And he, uh, he wasn't helping himself. He was a prodigal son. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> spending on, on spending it on alcohol and harlots and stuff. And but he did kind of experience a, a character arc that involved the redemption of his character at least within the confines of the story. Yeah. And I think the seed of how that happened, at least, is that he he spent a lot of time struggling in his relationship with Ross Poldark once Ross came back from the war, being jealous of him. Mm -hmm. uh, I think what happened was Ross is obviously this upstanding guy, a man of his word, who goes his own way and doesn't really care what anybody thinks and stuff. Yeah. And I think something of that kind of pricked the conscience of Francis. And it initially kind of made him despise Ross because he was like a mirror that showed everything he was that Francis really wasn't a good yeah. man. And well, and then in that relationship, his wife was, should have been, Ross's wife. Right. They were previously yeah. engaged before so they thought Ross died. There, There's yeah. that tension there, too, in that triangle about my wife probably loves you more than she loves me, but she settled for me because you weren't here. And so right. there's a lot of um, issues in that way, all three parts. Yeah, and it was all self-defeating <clears throat> and, you know, kind of feeling bad about himself. And I think Ross being the man that he was kind of, like I say, showed him his own faults and his first reaction to that was, was probably bad. You know, he came to resent some of those things about Ross, but and then in the second season, especially something kind of changed and for whatever reason, wasn't it the putrid throat? Well, <laughs> It may have been on the ramifications of a sickness that went through his family, but for whatever reason, Francis, I think, decided 
the only thing keeping him from being a decent man, an honorable man like Ross, was his own his was own himself. intentions, and that if he would just do it, he could be that man of of courage and honor and uh, and integrity, and so he kind of becomes that and kind of surprises his wife and everybody who knows him. He grows a backbone and refuses to be under people's thumbs like he was before. Mm -hmm. And Well, he had a real turning point because he was going to a trial, I think, and not intending to return. And then yeah. fate stepped in and uh, made him rethink a lot of things. Right. Right, we're trying not to do spoiler stuff, but uh, <laughs> yeah, he did descend to a really dark place, and something happened, and he came out and changed his opinion on a lot of things. And so, in a literary sense, then, that character does experience a great deal of redemption. Mm -hmm. But how was that accomplished? It wasn't through, it wasn't through faith, it I do think there was an element of repentance involved in that he realized I can't keep living the way I'm living. But that that repentance wasn't a turning toward God. It was more a turning toward becoming a man more like Ross. Mm -hmm. And and so I think that redemption was achieved basically through his own efforts by his own decision that I can't go on living this way and I'm going to I'm going to do better and just I'm going to make a decision now to be a better man than I was before. And so I think that points to the transcendence that's probably being preached in the in the series. And I and I think that's as I think about it as I'm saying these things I think that's consistent with what we've seen. You know, I was thinking as we were talking about doing this podcast, I was thinking about the fact that if you were just watching Poldark, uh, there's, you would almost think that the people of 18th century England were completely secular and irreligious because you, you the church is never involved in daily yeah. life and God isn't mentioned. And yeah. The only time God is mentioned, by the way, is when uh, Demelza's formerly drunk dad shows up and, and he's, he's a, undergone a conversion and and he's come back and he's preaching to her that she needs to repent of her sins and be saved but he's doing it in like the worst possible way the worst <laughs> caricature of a street preacher yeah. fundamentalist you know the worst sort of legalist and, and uh, judgmental fire breather and uh, just doesn't seem like a very loving guy. He's not a... Yeah, well, that's one a, reason she's not at home. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And so, really, that's the only representative of religion that, that really has any place in Poldark. And so I think that that just kind of confirms that we're talking about a secular, humanistic... Yeah, and I think whenever you see Ross in trouble... You know, he's figuring a way to get out of it. Right. There's no appeal. Yeah, to there's any. no higher <laughs> authority or power right. or anything. Right. And that probably uh, that probably brings us to the second point of the covenant, which is about representation and, and which character most represents this view of transcendence. And I think it's obviously Ross that 
he, by the strength of his own moral uh, courage and fortitude, mm-hmm. he's going to be a hero just based on doing what he thinks is right. Yeah. Uh, the third part of the covenant is ethics. In the Bible, it's going to be where all the thou shalt do this and thou shalt, shalt not do that. It's where all the individual commandments of like uh, Exodus and Deuteronomy show up. Ethics. Now that I'm in this covenant, what are my responsibilities? Mm-hmm. And and a lot of the time, what we ask here is, what are the moral dilemmas that are faced by our characters, and how do they face them? And we've mentioned a couple of times that Ross obviously has this very deep-seated moral code within himself. He has a sense of what's right and wrong, but there's never any explanation of where that comes from. You yeah. know, and and there are some things about it that are good and right. He does have a care for the poor where the rich people around him are indifferent in the extreme yeah. to anybody that's not part of their class and and Ross takes them up as his charge and he's going to do what he can to take care of them. And and then the other bit that I personally like, he runs afoul of the law on several occasions. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes, <laughs> uh, well, often the laws and the punishments are themselves very arbitrary from a biblical standpoint. They're not Bible laws. They're, they're big government laws. Yeah. And they wind up being very harsh to the poor people, especially. And what's Ross's answer to that? He's just going to ignore it. And he's going to defy it and resist it and do what he knows is right. And so while I appreciate the sentiment, I think that's a recipe for disaster at best. If if nobody is trying to follow God, either the government or the one resisting the government, you know, then... That's inevitably going to be bloodshed. That's what happened in the French Revolution and stuff. Both sides, the government and those revolting against the government, were both in open rebellion. And, you know, it was a bloody mess. And that's the formula for that. Nobody caring what what does God say about these things. Yeah, there's no ultimate authority. There were some other interesting ethical moral dilemmas, though, like... uh, we mentioned Francis, the guy who became a better man. He had some issues, like he didn't like who his little sister was marrying. Yeah. And, wow, he challenged the guy to a duel. They were going to fight to the death <laughs> yeah. over it. And, yeah. Uh, and then once they got married anyway, in spite of his objections, he his response was to just disown his sister, basically, and... Yeah. Not have anything to well, do with Well, and her. not just the sister, but also Ross. Yeah. You know, that was a big breach between their families. Yeah. And so, faced with these moral dilemmas, Francis's answer was to just uh, satisfy his own desires, his own sense of outrage or whatever. That was the only moral compass that he had. But I think the overarching moral dilemma that still has not been satisfied, and it, and it was there from like episode one of season one, mm-hmm. is this issue we mentioned where 
Ross had been engaged to this woman named Elizabeth, and when he was away at war and presumed dead, she winds up marrying cousin Francis. And the moral dilemma is that Ross has apparently always kind of still carried a torch for Elizabeth, even after he's married Demelza, and they mm -hmm. start having children, even. And Ross still, to this day, has not figured out <laughs> that he needs to, that he needs to make a complete break. I mean, they haven't had an affair or anything, yeah. but, but. Uh, you can see the desire is probably still there on both their parts. So there's that measure of unfaithfulness to both of their marriages. And neither one of them has been able yet to figure out this is destructive. Yeah, and it's, this isn't a good thing. Yeah. And in fact, here recently, Elizabeth has kind of come to grips with saying, yeah, well, I chose him over you. Why can't I just decide to choose you over him now? And, and uh, you know, my goodness. Talk about your moral anarchy. It's just about what do you want. and, and What's right for the time. Yeah, what will best satisfy you. But that's, you know, that's secularism at well, its that's core. That's the world we live in. <laughs> right. But that's the, that's the ethic of secularism. If it feels good, do it. If if this is what's going to make you, quote unquote, happy, then who's yeah. to say you can't do that? And aren't consequences just something that someone else is putting on you? <laughs> right. It right. has nothing to do with real life. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Now there were instances of some better uh, ethical decisions being made, like when they did get that almost plague sort of thing going through the, through the community, the putrid throat. Yeah. And Ross's wife, Demelza decides kind of at her own risk when Francis and Elizabeth, when their family takes ill with it and, and can die if they're not cared for, even if they are cared for, they yeah. can. Well, there's nobody to care for them. Yeah. Well, Demelza takes it upon herself to go over to their house and basically nurse them all as best she can back to health. Mm -hmm. Probably winds up saving everybody's life there. Yeah. But then she, herself, as a it. result, she gets it and passes it on to her infant daughter, and they wind up losing that baby. And uh, so... I guess my thought is that Demelza, or at least the way the story goes, I think Demelza knew she had a choice to make. She could stay away from the sickness and let them fare as they will, or she can kind of put herself at risk and try to do what she can for them. And so there was a bit of, there was a bit of self-sacrifice involved in that. And, and uh, you know, uh, as far as, how we're dealing with moral dilemmas. She did a better job there. Yeah. I think she tends to do better in most of those situations. And I don't know if that's because she's from a different class. Yeah. That she doesn't value herself as much as maybe some some other class might. Yeah. And yeah. she just kind of sees, you know, somebody needs help and I can help them. And so I need to right. do that. Yeah. Well, I don't know if that's the reason. The, there, I mean, that's a good guess. Nothing else is given as the reason why she would make those decisions. You know, because you know, I don't, I don't think she's seeing herself as being 
you know, this great person to go over and do it. It's just somebody needs to do this. Right. And I'm that somebody. Right. All right. Anything else? Any other particular moral dilemmas that were interesting to you? No, I don't know. <laughs> there's, there's all sorts of things going on with, you know, the, the whole thing that really starts the, the war leggings mad at him is when the ship is capsized on their beach yeah. and um, how all that's portrayed. And, and so definitely there's people lying and doing things that shouldn't be tolerated in any <laughs> right. legal situation, but here it is happening. And um, the way the, the main war Lagan character, George, he just kind of reminds me a lot of the Proverbs where it's talking about how you see the, the unrighteous and they just are planning and plotting and doing all this stuff and it comes to naught and you know that it just incenses them and makes them even angrier. <laughs> makes them crazy. And yeah. so, you know, he really he his intention and desire is to see Ross ruined. Right. You know. And just because you know, because he's Ross. Right. Well and I <laughs> don't you think the reason Ross irritates him is the same reason that Ross irritated Francis at the beginning that that Ross just shows him that everything that he's striven for in his life in terms of status and class that it's really meaningless <laughs> you mm -hmm. know Ross doesn't care at all about that yeah he holds that very loosely and I don't know if that's because he went over to America and he was fighting in the war. I don't know if he had that attitude before he left or if it was more cemented once he got there and saw what was going on. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. But he, uh, he doesn't take all of that. He doesn't take himself so seriously. Well, he just sees it as a complete social construct that really, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't, doesn't mean matter. anything. Yeah, has no real meaning. And I, I think shows George Warleggen that He's really not anything yet. He just happens to have money. You know? Yeah. And I think there's an ethical dilemma on the way. Certainly there is where uh, George has got Elizabeth in a bit of a monetary vice. Yeah. And he's going to squeeze that vice until something, something comes out that he wants. Yeah. Because you know? he's also desirous of Miss Elizabeth. So Right. So that'll be interesting as well. But it's a, I still think it's a, it's a pretty decent little series. It's interesting. There's a lot of conniving and yeah. and lots of plans and counter plans and <laughs> intrigue and intrigue. And so the fourth part of the biblical covenant is sanctions where we start talking about rewards for behavior and positive rewards for obedience and negative for disobedience. And we like to ask here, do the characters seem to get what they deserve in this world? In the rules that are set up in this world, do the characters get what they deserve? And do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, Ross somehow seems to get out of stuff every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but within the world, though, in, in that universe, I think he it wouldn't be right for him to get the bad things, you know, because... Well, he, he does get some bad things, but uh, he has a way of 
Everything's just working out. <laughs> right. You know, they just work. It's like Jerry says, you know, they just always kind of turn out right for me. <laughs> <laughs> Seinfeld reference. Yeah. Yeah. That he's always evening out in yep. the end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think in, in the fiction, in the universe that's created here, I think he's rewarded based on his intentions and. Mm. Well, but in that, in that regard, then, you know, it wasn't, right that Demelza should lose her child for going over to save the other person's child. Right. That seemed to be out of place. And how are you going to deal with that? But in a, in a purely secular <laughs> world, though, who's to say what anybody deserves or doesn't deserve? And, you know, a dead baby is the same as a live one. And, and neither one of those is connected to anybody's actions or anything like that. And so... Again, secularism kind of leads to a ethical dead end, literally. Mm -hmm. And so, but I think like we've talked about, the they've done such a good job making the Warlegan family so despicable that you're just kind of waiting for them to get what's theirs and get what has to be coming to them. You know, gotta be. Gotta be something. Right. <laughs> and so we haven't seen that yet, but I think it's pretty obvious it's on the way. It's got to be. This George Warleggan has spent so much time and effort trying to get Ross put in jail and yeah. or hung on the gallows mm -hmm. or something like that. That That's almost got to be where he winds up, right? Yeah. Well, I think his uncle is just going a little crazy about the whole thing that somehow they can't get this man <laughs> that makes them makes them crazy for yeah. sure. And I'm not sure there's much to talk about here in terms of succession, which is the fifth point of the biblical covenant. And how is this covenant going to continue? How's this world going to continue? And all of that. The only thing that I think is that we just recently had had mention made of the French Revolution, mm -hmm. and that's that's going to eventually spell the end of the whole class thing. You know, not in the violent way that it does in France. Yeah. It definitely has a change of lifestyle coming for... Right. As documented in Downton Abbey as yes. well. Right. So, but I think the, the spirit of the age that kind of causes the flames of revolution in France eventually wind up spreading and, and causing the end of things like monarchies and uh, noble classes and class divisions, really. So we know that's not going to survive, and we're kind of already seeing the beginnings of that, which means then that Ross's way of viewing the world and viewing people is the one that's going to win out in yeah. the end, inevitably. And that's probably Demelza's way of viewing it as well. Whereas Ross is more willing to see the value in the poor people and all that, Demelza is almost willing to go in the other direction too and say, well, these rich people that you despise, they're also people. And <laughs> it's yeah. not, you know, you can treat them like people and and that's okay too. Yeah, that's true. All right. So your overall grade so far on the Poldark series, what did you give it? 
I'd give it an A. Wow, an A. Give it an A. I like the series. Okay. For lots of reasons. You know, it's good stories, interesting characters, um, the costuming, the scenery. I think I would give... The villains. Yeah, <laughs> right. I think I would give season one an A. I haven't liked season two as much just because I felt like a lot of the things... There were there were plot issues and there were crisis in season one that were resolved in in unpredictable ways mm-hmm. that were just it wasn't what you might consider normal for modern television fiction you know the Demelz's baby did die and there was mm-hmm. nothing they could do about it and uh, and Ross didn't get out of the serious charges that were against him by the end of the episode or anything like that. Mm-hmm. That was a hard thing to deal with and, and seemed to be a very real threat. And so I felt like season one was written really well. I'm not sure that I think season two has lived up to that. Just because even I have been able to predict <laughs> How that's a rare are. thing he doesn't usually see these things coming i'm a mark i'm just sitting there watching and, <laughs> yeah. but i did tell you oh now it's going to be sad because this is going to happen and yeah, then yeah then it happened yeah but i got one on my own after that too. <laughs> well all right then okay so i probably wouldn't give it an a overall i'd give it a b but We'll see how it continues. Yeah. All right then. All well, because right. the season's not over, so we got to see. There We're still there are there is trouble a brewing for sure. Always trouble. All right. Well, do you have anything else you want to mention about Poldark? Anything on your mind? Mm, nope. All right. I guess we're done then. So this has been the Worldview Media Podcast. Thanks again for tuning in with us and. Our whole purpose here is to discern what kind of worldviews are being preached. And I'm convinced worldviews are preached in all media at all times. The commercials that you watch are preaching some kind of worldview. The dopey sitcoms, the reality TV shows, and, and all of that, it's all preaching something. And, and the biblical covenant lens provides us a way of figuring those things out and evaluating them. By the way, Dr. Jason Garwood, who is a host of the Setting the Record Straight program, uh, his most recent program, I believe, was an examination of the five-point covenant model. And that's probably the show that we should have done before we started doing the Worldview Media podcast. You know, we should have set up what is the covenant, how does it work, but we just kind of took off in midstream, like, yeah, here's here it is, we're doing it. And, uh, so if oh, you, great. <laughs> if y'all listening to this are not terribly familiar with the concept of of that five point covenant model, I'd encourage you to look up the uh, Reconstructionist Radio Network show, setting the record straight, and find the episode from uh, Pastor Garwood on the five-point covenant model and he will set the record straight on a lot of that stuff all right and then you can finally listen to us and know what the heck we're talking about right
Man. <laughs> okay. Thanks again, y'all. Go out and serve Christ, even in the arts and entertainment. It's all his anyway, so take dominion for his glory. Amen. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Worldview Media Podcast. Please visit reconstructionistradio.com to check out the other podcasts in our network and to download our free audiobooks. <laughs>